0: Hi, this is Liz Tinkham and welcome to Third Act, a podcast about people embracing the third act of their lives with a new sense of purpose and direction. The third act begins when your script ends, but your show's just not finished. On today's episode, I talk with Michelle Bettencourt, the elephant in the room. MB, as she likes to be called, is the executive chairperson of CorLight Inc., an emerging leader in the network detection and response market. She's also a published musician, and we're fortunate to hear her music throughout this podcast. Last, MB served as CEO and chairperson of several other Silicon Valley firms, but as AB, Anthony Betancourt, MB changed genders in 2017, starting the third act of her
1: life as a woman.
0: MB, welcome to Third Act.
1: Thank you so much. It's nice to be here.
0: All right. Well, there's so much to say about you and your career, which has been amazing. But I wanted to get right to it and let you tell your story. So, first, and I'm going to start a little backwards from where I normally go with these podcasts. But congrats on the role of chairperson of CoreLight, and because you just got that. So, tell us a little bit about that. What attracted you to the company, and what, if anything, beyond the normal chair role, are you going to do?
1: Terrific. Thank you for the question. Great question. Uh, First of all, I'm um, when I've I've had a 37 year career in Silicon Valley running uh, tech companies, sitting on a lot of boards of different tech companies. And what I've, what I've learned to look for is great product, a large market opportunity that has a lot of growth, and a market that has competitors in it because a single company does not make a market. And lastly, a world-class team because that team can typically attract the, the requisite funding to mm-hmm. make such a venture successful. So they had, had all three for me, which I loved. And how'd they find you? You know, they found me through a headhunter, and this is... This is interesting. I, after I left my last role at Imperva as chair in 2018, and I transitioned uh, to whatever I am these days, I had given up uh, hope on going back to work. I th- I thought, given what I sensed to be uh, a bit of a boys' network in the valley, and one does exist, and I was, you know, well, 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 hiding. I I I played a role in that somewhat. I thought I would not be allowed to get back in. Mm-hmm. So I it was I was getting a series of emails into my old Anthony account, and I'd read. I'd read return the call and they'd be looking for Anthony Bett and Courtney. I, I grew weary of saying, "Like he's no longer here. He's left the building. I took his place." And this one <laughs> and, and this one company they, they they knew and and it wasn't a big deal. And I remember the first hour I spent on the phone with Greg Bell, who was just stepping down as CEO to become head of strategy. Greg spent of the hour of conversation. He spent fifty minutes talking about the company and the culture and why he doesn't see diversity and inclusion as a tick box. He wants mm-hmm. to do something about it.
0: Most of my guests are sort of the straight A gunning, straight A students, and then the straight A's get them the job that gets them the career. But you're a college dropout. You dropped out of Santa Clara, but that didn't seem to impede you
1: at all. Well, it was it was embarrassing. I mean, I, look, I was a great student in high school. You know, mm-hmm. I did, I didn't drink. I didn't didn't touch any substance at all. And I was, I was one of the boring library kids, but I was quite ill-equipped for college. My, my parents, bless their hearts, they're both since deceased, but lovely, lovely parents. They, um, they wanted me to go to Santa Clara and I was kind of preordained. So when I went there, I was a day student. We couldn't afford for me to, to stay on campus. And I just, I had a hell of a time trying to figure out even how to study properly. So I stopped going as a senior, literally okay. just stopped going to classes.
0: <laughs> and then you you yeah. drop out, you get a job that you like, which leads to some early career success as a VP of sales. Say, tell us about that.
1: Well, so I, I was, you know, not being a sharpest tool in a shed at the time, I was going to get an English degree because I figured I could use that to do technical documentation, become a tech writer. And I thought, right. well, if I could ever make 40,000 a year doing that, how great. Well, I took the job and then I was promoted over and over and finally ended up in a... 23 as a sales rep uh, in, a, in a great tech company that had just gone public. I was recruited by a competitor, and then after that, I was I was a VP of sales at a startup by age 24. Wow! Yeah. Wow, and doing I, great. I didn't. You know, I didn't see it coming. Now, but I I was doing fine, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And and you know the good part about ignorance is bliss is you don't know what you don't know. The bad part is you don't know what you don't know either. Uh huh. So if, if I go back and think about what a you know how ill equipped I was at 24, it was probably about as ill equipped I was when I went. To Santa Clara. Fortunately, I had the chance to work with really smart people. And I, and I became, I observed how they operated. I observed how bad people operated, um, how decisions were made. And I tended to pattern match pretty early and that helped.
0: Yeah. And you told me that even though you might not have been the best equipped student, you had incredible drive. Say more, where did that come from?
1: Well, my father, my, my father worked at Morton Salt. He didn't get a, didn't have a chance to go to university.
0: In California or
1: something Salt, yeah, in California. In, in okay. North California. And he, he stacked, you know, a 75-pound bag of salt would, would come down a chute. He'd lift it with his, you know, five, six frame and stick it on a pallet. And then when the, when the, the bags weren't coming, he would sweep the floors. And that's what he did. I, I had a chance to work with him for a week uh, in a summer job doing this, but they also forced back x-rays, and, back x-rays and realized that my back could not really withstand that kind of work. I think I could have, but I just didn't get the chance. But I it work for a week, never complained. And, and I watched him all the years of his life, even as he was dying of cancer, never really complained. Just the sweetest, dearest man. And, when I, and my mother did the same thing. She cleaned houses to put, help us put bread on the table. And I, I, I thought, I could work as hard. I could work harder than everybody else. I might not be as smart, but I would outwork everyone. And that, that became my one claim to fame, is I would take the worst jobs and outwork people. At some point, you've been fortunate enough to be put into a role where you can thrive and you've surrounded yourself with really great people that are smarter than you, and then you, you build that team. And then you get better deal flow. And so, yeah, I, I had great fortune getting my first VP of sales job, then the, the VP of sales at Verity when we went public, and then the, the CEO role there. And then when I was able to sell the company, um, you know, the, the better opportunities continue to present themselves.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. So your CEO in your 40s as Anthony Betcourt. So what were you like at that time? And where did you think you were headed career-wise?
1: I was confused because I've had, I had all these other things taking place in the back of my mind about trying to question my gender and, and what I really was. And I was, I was trying to put on a bit of an act to be Macho in the Valley. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I was successful. I, I would open the NASDAQ when I was 43. I, and, and I, I was feeling at the top of my game. I was earning untold amounts of money and it was quite shocking. I just thought I was going to keep going in this direction. I would just become, I would do the CEO thing, but I never understood how it would how it would end. I, I, did, I didn't really have a plan as to what it would look like 20 years out. Okay. I was just okay. happy to be there, actually. Just happy to be there. But I was always afraid that somebody was going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you're not qualified to do this job. I was always convinced. I was just was never going to be the smartest person in the room. I was always going to be the the, the least equipped person in the company in, in a you, big role.
0: Well, that's interesting because you're 43, you rang the NASDAQ bell. You're clearly made it in the Valley. I mean, did you, so you never really felt like you were part of the club?
1: You know, when you're, when you're hiding something yeah. Um, and when you're, you know, you have this really terrible, deep, dark secret about yourself, it changes how you think about yourself. So, so you compartmentalize things. And I, yeah, I, I, I never felt part of the club. And I, I, I mean, I've, I've been in so many different meetings with, with incredible individuals. And I always felt so subservient. Even, even when I got to the point where I, I didn't have to be. I just didn't, I felt less than equal. And it was a combination of, I dropped out of college, I grew up poor, I did gender stuff. I had all these different layers of what I perceived to be failures in the back of my mind. And that, and that somehow, that, I think that affected my behavior a bit. It, it, it certainly didn't make me, I was never cavalier. I was also maybe I was just a bit cautious. I think is what I was.
0: You know, it's so funny because I was I was looking at your LinkedIn, and I was um, when I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking about you as a, a client. Okay, because I worked at Accenture for such a long time, and whenever I met a new client, I'd always look at their background and do a lot of research and try and figure out as much as I could about them. And I have to tell you, MB, you would have intimidated the heck out of me in your forties. So, so, yeah. so funny, So because on paper. You know, and your resume is incredible, and it was incredible in your 30s. So, I mean, you you had so much career success, but you know, so from the outside looking in, it's it's just different, right?
1: No one could have clocked me. I was, you know, I was driving. I, I had my new Bentleys. I had my I, I loved cars. I loved Rolex watches. I cloaked myself in everything I could to be, you know, part to look like I was part of that boy culture, and, and maybe. I'm giving myself too much credit about being too thoughtful about this. I just did it because I did it. And, yeah. and I, I tried to appear as that, but I really never was. I mean, I didn't feel like it for certain.
0: So, along the way, you get married and you have children. So, tell us a little bit about your family.
1: So, I've, I've been married twice. I got married at age 21, and I it was my high school sweetheart, and she's a dear friend still. We were married about 10 years. Okay. Uh, we had triplet daughters. Those okay. daughters are now 33. Wow. Great, great girls, yeah. just wonderful girls. My first wife and I divorced when. We were, we were both, I think, in our early 30s, and I remarried a few years later. And again, I had this gender thing in the background, and I kept thinking I could fix myself. I could make it go away. I'll just do what normal people do. And and I don't want that to become, I don't want that to sound like a pejorative comment, but normal as in quotes do. Uh, and I married again, had another child. My wife and I have now been married 27 years. Uh, she married a boy in a suit. A boy in a suit. Yeah, a boy in a suit. and And she was... I think unhappily surprised some 20 years later when I started to come out to her and try to explain what I was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you had, so you have four daughters. Yeah, I have one in Brooklyn, uh, my youngest. I have another in, we have an apartment in Manhattan. So I have another who lives in that apartment. Mm-hmm. And, and I have two in San Francisco. Just oh, four that's, wonderful, wonderful women.
0: That's wonderful. So you're continuing your success. So you're in your 40s, you're rising through different Silicon Valley companies, you're thriving, taking some public, being on different boards, but you're leading a double life. Uh, So say more about that.
1: I'd say since I was about 46 or so. You know, I was 45, I weighed 235 pounds. I was traveling all the time, and I looked like a very typical overweight tech company CEO. Mm -hmm. Um, when I sold my first company, Verity, at 46. Um, and took a bit of a break, I put myself on a, a more rigorous diet. I, I actually caught pneumonia because of, because of the travel craziness, but then used that, you know, dropped 20 pounds quickly and then figured, well, if I could drop 20 that way, imagine if I exercise and, and watch my diet. Mm-hmm. And I went from 235 down to about 170, maybe maybe four or five months, it was rapid. And then, then I then I thought that would probably be the limit. These days, I'm about 150. I exercise daily. I watch what I eat and that's mm-hmm. about all that takes place. But I would go out at night and I, I would, I would fly into a city. I would go to my room. I would shower. I would get all the, the body hair off my face and my body, and I would change, and I would get as lovely as I thought I was, and I would go sit at the bar and work at night. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what happens is you, you begin to experiment where you're safe. So New York was a great place for me to do that. I had a hotel that I loved, and I would go there, and after a while, everyone knew it was me because I wasn't trying to keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to a different... I, was, I would sit at the Ritz-Carlton, and I realized, boy, if I get Ritz and four seasons, treat me like gold. And I realized that the better the place, the better the protection. But that, mm. but that double life was, I would go out, I would meet people, I would talk, Then I'd go back to my room, I'd take off the makeup and put the clothes away, and in the morning I'd be back in a suit out at meetings again.
0: Mm. And did anybody know?
1: Eventually, of course, people find out because you, I, I became less protective of my privacy. I became a bit more reckless, if you will, on social media. And I remember when I had my company, Coveri, I was in an elevator in San Francisco, and. I'd always ask my admins, never put me in the same hotel with, with, with our employees, which sounded really, really terrible to say, but I had to explain it because I just don't want to be caught. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I saw one of my sales reps in the elevator and he did see me. He didn't say anything until about six months later, but he did see me. But mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, and the word gets out. And then, it, then of course it becomes, you know, no matter how how good you feel about yourself. And, and again, in this situation, you feel very confused about yourself because you don't know what you are. Even if you felt lovely about yourself, it's there's still a, A tinge of embarrassment because all of a sudden you put yourself in in a situation that that causes or forces some kind of explanation.
0: Mm -hmm. And your wife did she have any idea?
1: She never did until I told her, and um and we we tried to work through it. And I I didn't quite know where I was going to land. Um, And and if you think about what trans trans individuals, trans women, my case, there's a big continuum. Uh, You could be on one side of the spectrum, you're maybe a little bit androgynous. The other side, you may decide to go through a full process as, as did Caitlyn Jenner. And I didn't mm-hmm. know where I was going to land in that process, honestly. We ended up separating and I moved to New York and, and bought an apartment and, and spent 18 months there trying to figure myself out, in fact.
0: So while you're the CEO at Imperva, you fly to Argentina, tell
1: that story. Well, we had, a, we had, an, we had an issue with the customer and we had to get, um, we had to get a, a contract issue resolved. And if we didn't, it, it could have caused a restatement for the company. In public companies, if a restatement takes place, it is awful. Mm-hmm. Companies sued, there's class action lawsuits, people lose jobs. And, and, and the investors take a bath. And so while I, was, while I was dealing with a problem in Argentina, I had an activist investor who went to the board and said, you know, your, your CEO's transgender, they're confused, they're not working hard, we're watching them on social media. And like an element of that was correct. I, I was a little bit confused. But I was working awfully hard and I was doing what I was supposed to do. At that point, the, the board was trying to figure me out. And I was, by the time I got back to New York, you know, 48 hours later, and I was having my phone blow up with, with, with messages from the board asking, why, why are you doing this? Why didn't you tell us? I just didn't, I probably didn't handle it well. They handled it as best they could. But it really, it upset me, it upset me that, that my personal life had become a weapon against, my, against myself. And so what happens to your role there? Once everyone got past the shock value, and, and it was, there, was, there was surprise and, and not an inability to know what to do, we all agreed that let's just hire a president, I'll be CEO, uh, I'll stay in my apartment in New York, I'll, be go, I'll go to Tel Aviv every month, as I do, because we had 400 of our R&D staff there. But over time, I began to realize that's probably not the best workable solution. So mm-hmm. I was conducting a search. It's a public company. You don't want to, if you start conducting a search for a CEO, suddenly that's disclosable. So instead, I kept I kept searching for a president, which was not my replacement technically. But then I found a, a candidate that could replace me, and then I brought them in to replace me. I, and then I took I took the chair role and say you know step back as as chairperson of the company and stayed until February of eighteen.
0: Oh, it's a pretty gracious transition.
1: Uh, you know, I, I would say every on on each side, I, I think that the employees were lovely. I had so many moments with employees that were shocking to me um, because I was. In retrospect, I was really trying to sort myself out, and it must have looked very clumsy on the outside, but they were all protective. I remember I was with the sales rep, um, a grizzled sales rep. You know, tech sales reps can be, can be yeah. a real bro culture, if you will. <laughs>
0: and and blue, we were in a... Blue we jacket. Really, yeah. Oh, my
1: God. Oh, there's central
0: St- casting totally,
1: yeah. Oh, totally. And we're, 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 in, um, we're in St. Louis inter- doing a deal with Enterprise, a car rental company. And we finished, we have a drink. And, and this guy, gentleman's name is Mark. And Mark says, so what are you going to do tonight? So I'm just going to go out to dinner. He said, well, let's, let's go out. And I said, no, no, no I'll, I'm fine. I'll, and I, I kept trying to, to get him to not bother me because I want to go out alone and I want to dress up and go. And he finally pulled me aside and said, I know what you're going to do. I want to be with you to make sure you're okay. Oh my and gosh, I, I, that, how lovely. And I, you'd never, ever, ever expect that to be said by him. But I had so many of those moments. And then on the flip side, I, you know, I had the board putting... Subtle amounts of pressure on me, but my, my mantra inside became, you know, I, I can't, I'm, I'm going to be a spectacle, and, and, and I, I shouldn't use, you know, this shield of a Merva to do this, because that was a company at the time I was CEO because that's just, that's just wrong. I, I, I can't, I can't harm the company by, by wanting to be me. I've got to, mm-hmm. I just draw my own line. And so I stepped down, company was wonderful. I stayed on the board until Feb 18. It was my plan, my team, and the company was uh, sold. Uh, in a, in a take-private transaction that I'd begun in the process, uh, went for 2.1 billion dollars in October of that year. Wow! So, so it was a wonderful, wonderful ending for the company, and 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 my stepping out of the company gave me a chance to figure myself out. And it did take a while, and it was probably had very ugly moments, which thankfully are gone now.
0: So you've always been creative. You've been a musician. And it's my sense that your ability to sort of write music helped you through that period. Do you have that wrong? Tell us maybe a little bit about your creative side.
1: So you know, when I, when I was 45, we, I sold this company, Verity. I had always been a drummer. I took one lesson, so I, I wasn't that good. But I decided I could be good if I worked harder. And I formed a band. And you know, we in, in tech, we do it a certain way. I remember I had the band assembled here at my house in Pleasanton. And we were starting to talk about what we are going to do and what kind of projects. We'd write our own music. And... Our lead singer was a member of the Grammy Academy. You know, the Grammys were five months away, and I said, let's, let's, let's do a record. And he said, no, it doesn't work that way. You got to write music. I said, exactly. Let's count backward. Mm-hmm. Let's ha- take to, to press, mix master, et cetera. And, and we actually, we did, a, we did a, an EP, and then followed up with an album. We ended up opening for Journey, Def Leppard, Foreigner, a UFO, a bunch of bands. That was called Zen Vendetta. I love the name, Zen yeah. Vendetta. Uh, but, but very uh, stone, temple pilots, you know, harder, harder rock sound. And I'm not, I wasn't that kind of a drummer, but I became that. Mm -hmm. And then in 2018, when I was in New York, I had, I had all this angst about myself, started writing poetry. And my wife and I were trying to reconcile. Uh, we went on a trip together to Machu Picchu and it was for the most part good, but I was probably a bit moody there. And on the last couple of days, I just started writing and I, I went back to New York and I I'd, I'd taken one guitar lesson. I'm, I'm always good at ticking the box with one lesson, it seems. And and my, my guitar instructor <laughs> Hendrik Helmer was he had he, he, been teaching Rocco Ritchie, you know, Guy Ritchie, uh-huh. Madonna's child, yeah. guitar. And 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 uh, Hendrik was would do st- session work with Carly Simon and Bill Withers and had a studio. And I and I remember playing him a recording of a song that I wrote and I sang into my phone in Peru. And he said my, he got his guitar out and we went to the studio and recorded it and it turned wow. out to be great. So we just kept we kept going. We wrote eight songs in. Four months in the studio, recorded them, mixed and mastered and produced. And, and we, were, we had Tommy Mandel, who is Brian Adams' keyboard player on the music. Tommy's phenomenal, he's just a wonderful human. Uh, Mike Vasiglia, who is Suzanne Vega and Cindy Lumpur's bass player. And, and they, they were all, and so we had the best world class musicians on the record. I'm not a vocalist, um, so I did the drum tracks, I did the vocals.
0: Okay, so if I want to put those in the show notes, where would we find that music?
1: New Normal, uh, Michelle Betancourt on YouTube it's on Spotify it's on YouTube got it eight songs I really love it it's it's Tom Petty Lou Reed kind of influences and I, I don't think I have the any, any fuel in me to do another one because it was a very angsty period but I'm glad I got it out
0: When did you decide to, tr- to fully transition genders and why? So how does that come about to your third act,
1: so to speak? Uh, I, was, I was 57. Okay. Yeah, boy, I, that was a big third act, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. My first, act, my first act of university was a, fa- was a failure for me. The, the second act of business was good. Yeah, really um, and, good. And then right. tr- transitioning, um, I I'd never thought I would do it, first of all. I was terribly afraid of losing my career. And I'm going to be blunt about this, career first family second, marriage. And, and I probably thought about it in those terms. I would reverse it, of course, today uh, with the life's turned out. But I, I didn't know what else to do. And I, and I didn't know that I could not, I didn't feel that I, I could go forward without doing that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I rolled it out slowly and clumsily. I remember I would tell a daughter and, and I would wait a month. And it was unfair. you got four kids. They probably all want to talk about this at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I began to unfurl my flag, if you will, um, to friends and family slowly. Uh, and it was, it was, you know. But I was a mess at the time. I, I was probably overindulging in certain things I should have been taking and drinking mm-hmm. um, to kind of numb my own frustration with myself. And and I went out to New York, and thank God I found a good psychiatrist mm-hmm. um, who who has been just you now. He's become more of a life coach than anything else in our discussions. My family, all they wanted for me was to, was to be happy, yep. and to be healthy, and and to be connected. The daughters, their big question is, what do we call you? And I said, I'm always your father. Doesn't matter how I'm dressed. Doesn't matter how I look. I'll always protect you. You're my daughters. And my wife and I, we had the same discussion when we really got down to getting back together again. I said, look, I'm, I'm not your normal husband and I'm, I am what I am, but I love you and I'll be your life partner. And candidly, we just opened our 27th year of marriage. And it's very counterintuitive to me as well. We've had our best year of marriage in the past year.
0: You make a movie during this period, is that correct? called yeah Lie. So tell us about that.
1: A lot of friends in music and, and some friends in film. And I, I knew a director who had done a really good documentary. Previous, it was called This Is Not a Rodeo about the, the Pro Bull Riders Association, which mm-hmm. and I love that that movie. And I, I sat with him and he'd known me for about eight years. He knew Anthony, didn't, didn't know anything about me at the time. And I sat with him at the Ritz with, with his cameraman and talked about this project. And or I pulled out my phone and showed a picture and I said, this is really me. And he was dumbfounded. And mm-hmm. I tried to explain what it was. And I said, look, Bring your wife tonight to dinner, and the three of us will sit here at the Ritz. I at the time in Manhattan, and and you'll and you'll hopefully understand. And so they showed up. I was dressed. We had dinner. And his his wife and I, Jody, talked the entire night. Joe, his name is Joe Lavero, could not get a word in edgewise. <laughs> and and and, it, and dawned on that, that there was something it was different. He di, he didn't know how to package it, and we didn't even know what it was at the time. And I thought I would just valiantly get the company going in the right direction, and would sell it, and then I, I'd run off. Uh, you know, right off into sunset, victoriously. I did. I didn't think it would turn into be the sloppiness of me that it was. But ultimately, the, the the initial impetus for the film was I was convinced that it will be thirty years or so before you'll see the regular occurrence of of trans individuals being able to serve as CEOs of companies when it will be not a big deal. And I wanted to at least put something out that explained what that felt like in the process, not to delay. That evolution, but to maybe be an accelerant and maybe demyst- demystify what takes places yeah. someone's head and what happens is that it works that's oh, so cool. So, so
0: yeah, and you have this production company he said she said that produced the movie. are Are you doing anything else with that?
1: Yeah you know, it's a, I'm right now I'm, I'm working with two production companies in Southern California. We've got the actors lined up. You know, we're, we're looking for a showrunner and we're hopefully going to get it funded as a scripted TV series. I like to think of it as a, of a if, you, if you could take, you know, the best of succession, a little bit of the glitz of billions and, 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 the, and some of the relative transparent. I, I want it to be kind of the, the compendium of those three.
0: Are you working to write that show? Or are you written it?
1: I'm a, we've got the pilot written and we, we've got the treatment for the first year. If anything, I'm, I'm, I serve right now as a technical consultant on the got project. It. It's, it's my life right story, but I, I'm very much involved with, with the actors and the... Uh, and the producers, which is nice. We'll see where that goes. I know nothing about that that piece of business. I'm much better when I go back to tech because at least I know, know how to do stuff there.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to come back to that in a second. But one last question. Are you allowed to say who's playing
1: you in the show? I shouldn't because I, it, w- it, w- it would preempt. It would preempt. Okay, so I, I,
0: sorry, I'm gonna pass <laughs> we'll it. come back. We'll come back for your fourth act and we'll talk yeah. about that. How's that? You, no, I can't you wait.
1: deal. That sounds good. You got can't wait.
0: So I want to go back to tech uh, and your second act and your professional fears about... Uh, transitioning genders. Uh, d- did those fears pan out?
1: I was used to a Silicon Valley that was where I remember being in meetings and one of my boards. Uh, I wore a, you know kind of a black t-shirt, a little vest, didn't have earrings rings in, but I wore you know I was wearing black skinny jeans, women's jeans typically, reds, Todd's patent leather women's shoes, mm-hmm. and it was just me. And I came into a board meeting, and one of the investors, really well-known person in the valley, I will not say his name made a comment, and it was, Anthony, you're not turning gay on us, are you? Interesting. And that was said a, dec- was said a decade ago in a board meeting. A decade ago. A decade ago. And everything was going great, but, but that was, I was hearing those kinds of sex.
0: So you were and Anthony when this happened?
1: I was, and, and I, I just kind of brushed it off yep. and, and, and left it for what it was. But at night, I would go to as Michelle. And I remember another, maybe um, four years ago, being at, at the Four Seasons in Palo Alto, at the bar, and I was as dressed as I wanted to be, I was me. I had a meeting, I had a a board meeting at Imperva, so I spit the night on that side. I went down to the bar, and there are these three folks in suits, a woman and two men, and I sit down, and within 30 seconds, they're telling transgender jokes. And I I, I don't know how to react to that stuff. I, I used to react with anger, and anger didn't mean me responding to anyone, but just I would just walk away so I went up and I showered and I slipped my hair back and came down in my jeans and black t-shirt and had a drink and got on with my night but I was expecting that so I, I was so convinced that my any any return I had to the valley would be met with snickering and jokes behind my back and like I'm sure that takes place like I, I don't look for it uh, you know I think a part of this is if you find what you're looking for it, if, if you're convinced people are making fun of you, then you're going to find that. And if you're, if you're convinced, though, that people are going to take you seriously and treat you for how you want to be treated, you're going to find that too. I'm finding the latter. I, I find it with my board. I, I find it with my employees. Um, I find it with other investors, w- of, of which I'm talking to, um, other board opportunities that are coming my way. I'm very fortunate because I've got this great CV in my back. and So mm-hmm. I feel like, okay, Anthony, I, Mich- I, I, I took Anthony's career. I took his resume. I took his bank account and I took his family. What I ended up with, and, and uh, very lucky to be able to do that. And I think in an odd sort of way, people kind of understand that. They, they, get, they, they get past the long hair, bit of makeup, whatever I do. But it's, you know, after a few minutes of conversation, I, th- I think whatever preconceived notions they had coming in tend to melt away pretty quickly.
0: You would be the only person that I've ever talked to who would have a perspective on whether you get treated differently being a woman in the boardroom or as a CEO than being a man?
1: I think I'm, I'm treated a little bit differently. I think, I think people uh, are more gentle with me only because they're, like they're, they're, everyone really does try to lean in and use, like I prefer the pronouns of she and her. Okay. And everyone at work is trying to do that. And and the few times, you know, I've, as exec chair, I, have, I had taken a, an interim role to help shore up a, a gap in the company. We needed someone to run sales and, and worldwide revenue. And so I stepped in for two months to take on that role. And, that, and I'll, I'll be out of that role in November 9. But it's been great. We're having the best quarter in a company's history. But this, again, the, the response from the sales reps, are they're really trying hard. And the couple of times that the people have referred to me as he, and I don't really care, as I've explained, I'm my daughter's father and my wife's husband. People, they're so harsh on themselves. And they, they, they try to backpedal so quickly. And I keep saying, look, it doesn't really matter. Don't. Mm-hmm. My dear friends I've known for ages, I've got a grandfather clause. If they want to call me Anthony, fine. If they want to call me AB, that's fine. I prefer MB because it's Mm -hmm. an easy lift and shift of one letter for me. But no, everyone's been wonderful.
0: That's great. That is very good to hear. One of the things I find so remarkable about your story is your courage to transition genders after such a high profile and successful career And, you know, one of the things I think about is so many of us fret about exposing our personal lives at work. So I think about my own when I decided that this was a while ago, when I decided to have the third kid, like people, I was so nervous. People like, well, wait a minute, you know, how can you have three kids and still do your job? I mean, two was really pushing it. Now you're having three. Or even recently, if you, you know, I was following the Amy Coney Barrett Supreme Court um, hearings and not, you know, and not to, make any comment about her, but just, you know, all the rhetoric about, Oh my God, she has seven kids. How can she possibly do that? Right. And so just this narrative of the personal and um, yet you've told me people have been really accepting of all of it. And I think it's a, I think it's a lesson for all of us that your worst fears, yes, people might be telling jokes about it, but you're always going to find that right about anything you do, your haircut,
1: your clothes, whatever. I think you're right. And I think everyone's hiding something, right? And it, yeah. it might not be as big as, as what I was hiding. Hopefully, not. Everyone has that because it's, it's it's a drag on it's a drag on your on your mental well being. And I was probably spending twenty five percent of my day thinking, trying to figure out when my next opportunity to go out what might be, or how I was I was afraid of being exposed for something. I was spending a, a, a surprising amount of my time doing that, which means that time was being sucked off and my ability to kind of work at my top peak performance or, you know, be a better family member, that was all that was all being eroded. I feel at this point, my command of work is as good as it's ever been. I think it's better. I'm, my thoughts are clear. I'm not, I'm not obfuscating. I'm not trying to be what I'm not. So it gives me time to kind of focus on what's most important.
0: Yeah, and with tech, so you're the chairperson of Corelight. Do you see yourself... What else do you see yourself doing going forward with your career?
1: I don't think I'm going to go back and become a CEO again, although I, I've had calls and I know I could do it. And maybe that was one of the most important things of coming into Corelight is it, is it, it, it changed my perception of what my limitations might be, which is nice. I will definitely stay on the Corelight board. I think this is, we'll get this to, a, to an IPO in, in probably four or five years. And I think there's other board opportunities that I'll take advantage of as well. I, I don't see myself doing a whole lot more music. Um, that's kind of not my thing. Okay. Uh, these days, I, I travel 300,000 miles a year on United. And so my, my wife and I have, have discovered, you know, the enjoyment of binge watching television late at night.
0: <laughs> I think we uh, all have, right? You know,
1: yeah, and I'll be at home with a dog. And so I, I, my, my, my desire to always be out and, you know, enjoying the nightlife, that, that's gone away. And I I like wake up in the morning and be me. I, I don't have to go out to be me. I don't have, I don't have to change a darn thing in the morning. I just wake up and I'm me. That's, and and that's just shifted everything. I have an amazing amount of contentment these days. Those days of my life.
0: That's wonderful. So, I've always thought about naming this podcast or titling it. I'm not done yet. So what aren't you done with yet?
1: I don't want to spend the next 20 years of my life. I just turned 60. And I figure I've got 15 years of, of, of decent mental power left ahead of me. I'm trying to sort that. I love what I'm doing with work. My big fear about not being able to go back in was I've 37 years of experience. I've opened the NASDAQ twice. I've opened the NYSE once. I've bought and sold companies. I've made a small fortune for myself, which it's, I've always punched above my weight, thankfully. And I didn't want that to go to waste. So if, if I'd like to be on some boards so I can continue to uh, help organizations navigate things they haven't seen before. Because at my age, I've, I've seen a lot of stuff running mm-hmm. companies. On the other side, I, my, my wife and I are forming a, a family foundation. Um, mm-hmm. It's called the uh, Michelle Betancourt Foundation for Fair Transgender Employment. Uh, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll be kind of our own personal money we, we put to work with organizations who are helping to get transgender individuals working. Uh, because 25% of, of trans folks in, in the marketplace have been fired over bias. And 39, states, 39 hmm. states allow that. Wow. Which, which is shocking, and, and and at least half have been threatened with other, you know, physical yeah. or sexual violence in the workplace. So I'd like to help. I'd like to help at least educate the community as it would take, take place. I'm also on the board of the Sam and Devora Foundation, uh, which provides safe spaces for trans youth. And so it's for me, this it's a, it's a brand new world for me. The first part of my life, I was in the white boys club, if you will, in Silicon Valley. Now they've let me back in as a as a you know an adjunct member. Um, <laughs> the, white a, woman, a, the white woman, the white woman's but, adjunct. Yeah, well, yep, yeah, but, yeah. but kind of crazy. And there, there's something called the the Athena Alliance. I I, yeah. I was invited to join that, which I love. And I'm I'm doing salons. I, I've got one coming up in November. But you know, so you parachute as the new CEO of the CEO of a company. What do you What do you do first? So I'm, yeah. I'm teaching. Oh, those. I'm going
0: to listen to that because that that we're sponsored through Athena uh, podcasts or Athena Radio. So fantastic.
1: And I love that organization. And I, and I was shocked that that I was embraced in that group. So I didn't know I didn't know how I'd be viewed. And the lastly, there was an article that came out recently in Reuters uh, on LGBTQ investing. Uh, I'm a I'm in, I'm in a group called Gangels, which which is a New York based organization that does a lot of tech investing. Uh, and and I was uh, kind of featured in an, in a pretty decent article on Reuters. So I'm now straddling three communities. Mm-hmm. I've got the, the the white boy community, which I'm, I'm not. A part of anymore, but I've got <laughs> the women's organizations, which I'm so happy. Yeah, but but women's organizations, so happy to be an, an LGBTQ. So these are all new things for me, and I, I don't I don't have a plan yet as, as how it will all tie together. But these days, I'm really really happy, and I'm nice to be focused on doing the right things for once. I
0: have to say, your energy is coming through my earphones. It's so palpable. It's wonderful. I, my sense is you're going to pack your 37 years as the white guy into the next 20 years as MB and probably deliver even better results. It's a, it's just such a great story. And if I can put a pin on, can we have you back in season two with your next act? Cause I just, I can't wait to see what else and hear more about what you're going to do. I would so love that. Oh yeah, uh, we will we'll have to. So tell me, tell our listeners, where can we find you online, MB? I'm
1: on Facebook. Um, okay. uh, just uh, Michelle Bettencourt, uh, M-I-C-H-E-L-E and then Bettencourt, B-E-T-T-E-N-C-O-U-R-T. Yep, and we'll put this in the show notes, uh, okay? Terrific. Um, I'm on Instagram. It, it's, it's the Countess, only because I, I've, I've lived in the Upper East Side there, and I, I do look like, like a very proper Upper East Side female. Okay. And, and it's like the Countess NYC on, okay. Inst, on Instagram. Great. And then, and then the email address, if anyone wants, is michellebettencourt at yahoo.com.
0: Great. Okay. Well, thanks so much for being on Third Act, and we look forward to keeping up with you.
1: Thank you so much for your time. Have a good day.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me today to listen to the Third Act Podcast. You can find show notes, guest bios, and more at thirdactpodcast.com. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Liz Tinkham. I'll be back next week with another guest who's found new meaning and fulfillment in the third act of their life.